The Great Filter is a Phobos Tech podcast. All proceeds go to fund the STEM Theory Research Project, inspired by the economic systems of both Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek and Ian M. Binks's Culture series. STEM Theory aims for a cleaner, healthier future for all of humanity. Go to thegreatfilterpodcast.com to like, rate, subscribe, or follow us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and more. The Great Filter has adopted the No Pass Directive. That's no placements, ads, spots, or sponsors. So check out the support link at thegreatfilterpodcast.com and consider becoming a monthly contributor. Options are as low as 99 cents per month. Thank you. Will we be the filtered or the filtrate? This is The Great Filter. You could smash and destroy from unthinkable distances, obliterate planets from beyond their own system, and provoke stars into Novae from light years off, and still have no good idea why you were really fighting. Ian M. Banks from the novel Consider Phlebas. Now, if you have not read Consider Phlebas or don't know who Ian M. Banks is, um, I highly recommend checking it out. Ian M. Banks wrote a series. Uh, unfortunately, he is um, deceased, uh, died not too long ago. But the series is, is referred to as the Culture Series. Um, it, it's oriented around a, an extremely advanced civilization called the Culture. And each book is independent. You know, it's just a different story. There's, there's no consecutive... Uh, order in which you need to read them. I read them in, in publication order, but I'm, you know, like that, I guess. Anyway, some of the best science fiction out there. Um, my personal opinion, but I think it's an opinion that many share who have read the series. Okay, so quick note, the Great Filter episodes will be released weekly, every Monday from here on out. I am unfortunately no longer capable of doing two episodes per week but you know this is not a bad thing um the, the reason behind this is that some other projects that i've been kind of both waiting on and slowly been churning in the background have begun to actually come to a head so uh yeah uh, it, it really is a good thing, even though I'm not, I'm not going to be able to spend as much time on the podcast. Um, a lot of the work I am working on that is topically related to this podcast is gaining a little bit more momentum. So, yay, it's a good thing. Okay, I, I want to revisit something we talked about. Um, oh, it was several episodes ago, but uh, we... we Sl slightly covered gamma ray bursts. Uh, recently, I've been rereading about this. I, I had not, um, I had not known this, so I just thought this was interesting. It's a little bit more information on gamma ray bursts. Uh, this is just a quick <laughs> segue here. The the mechanics of how a gamma ray burst would you know interact with our planet, depending on how close. Uh, the, the, the supernova is. The 
electromagnetic effect on our atmosphere would be such that it would basically strip um, the ozone layer off. It would just completely strip the ozone layer off. Now, the side facing the gamma ray burst would obviously be impacted by the radiation. But uh, the other side, not so much. Um, but what they think would happen is the, the side facing the gamma ray burst, the side being impacted, would be A, completely stripped of the radiation. B, it would induce a, an incredible just surface sweeping, um, <laughs> I don't even know what to call it, uh, cacophony maybe of chemical reactions across the entire surface it strikes, uh, as, as in chemical reactions <laughs> that under any normal circumstances would never happen. Um, it would just irradiate the entire surface, so you would have all sorts of organic uh, uh, chemical reactions happening and then not organic as in, you know, organic organically, but organic as in a lot of living matter that it would just start on fire, just completely irradiate, irradiate and, and cause just uh, unbelievably catastrophic chemical reactions, which would, you know, release these resulting chemicals into the atmosphere, which would likely be highly toxic or dangerous or carcinogenic and it would end in pretty much a planet-wide um, <laughs> extinction level event for just about everything so very terrifying scenario but at the same time the chances of that happening are so incredibly just slim that we would not have to really ever worry about it. And this kind of brings us back to the Rubik's Cube of possible demise, if you remember, uh, if, if you heard that episode. Uh, so I, I kind of laid out how, how we can kind of look at the Great Filter and from what corner of our understanding it may possibly come from. And you have basically three kind of vectors that uh, intersect. You have the intention vector, the awareness vector, and the field of influence vector, each vector having three uh, sort of components. Um, you have, for instance, the intention vector. Uh, you've got your um, events influenced by an intention or, you know, through an intelligence, the events of a natural proceeding. Uh, and then you have your anom anomalous event. You have your awareness vectors, which mean that the event is within our field of awareness, um, if, you know, within enough time uh, to do something about it. The event is outside of our field of awareness, and then there's the anomalous event that doesn't, you know, fit into either of those categories, no matter how impossible or, you know, uh, probabilistically insignificant it may be. And the, fir the third vector is the field of influence, wherein um, the first element is it, it is within our field of influence it's something we can do something about the second one is it's outside of our field of influence and the third is it is an anomalous event that doesn't fit under either of those two no matter how probabilistically impossible that might be okay um and as 
uh, you know, talking about like the gamma reburst and, and alien invasions, you know, things that come from outside of our solar system or, you know, off planet, things that are extraterrestrial. The, the probability of any of those things happening, I think as compared to things on our planet, things that we might do, the comparison is almost, it's almost incomparable. You know, the chances that something from off planet, something outside of our field of influence is a possible great filter or is the great filter, you know, the one that we end up coming face to face with. I, I, there's just no comparison. It's most likely something that happens here, something that we may have a hand in uh, catalyzing or instigating. And of course, the greatest regulator as far as what can, you know, suppress possible great filters is us getting off planet, us going out and colonizing new places, new worlds, new moons, uh, even creating new worlds, you know, like a ring world or whatever. That, that motivation, that drive to do that, that we feel, that is what is going to minimize any possible great filter. The more worlds you go out and colonize, the more places you can you can found and and grow into civilizations away from our star, the greater the likelihood that the human race will survive. Anyway, my my point here is that uh, the more I think about this, the likelihood that that a great filter or the great filter that we come face to face with ends up being something that is an event that has been influenced by an intelligence, uh, that it is within our awareness with enough time to do something about, and it is within our field of influence. It is something we can do something about is highly likely because it statistically it is reducible to something that happens on our planet, something that happens, you know, within our like physical reach. So with that in mind, uh, let's talk about an alien invasion. Okay. There are a few things we can certainly break the possibility of an alien invasion down into, or, you know, categories that we can use to really critically analyze the possibility of an extraterrestrial civilization coming to our doorstep and obliterating humanity. And the, the first thing is to consider the possible motives. And can, can we even hypothesize about, about their motives? I mean, for one thing, what are the other possible mechanisms that can give rise to computationally based awareness? Do you need compu computation for awareness? I, that's, you know, I mean, I guess that kind of dips into the whole woo arena, but I think it's a valid question. Uh, as far as we understand it, as far as we have been constructed, yeah, there is, there is a, an inseparable connection between awareness and computation. But is there some sort of substrate or some sort of possible combination that gives rise to some something we could call an, an awareness that doesn't necessarily uh, break down to 
computation. I've been slowly trying to uh, get through and digest Stephen Wolfram's A New Kind of Science. <laughs> very uh, dense, heavy book, um, but very fascinating, too. And I, I have this nagging sort of feeling that that we may be running into um, a, an area where things aren't as cut and dry as, as we think they are. Uh, computation isn't... I feel like there are... Man, I don't know what I'm trying to fucking say. <laughs> I, I guess what I'm trying to get at here is that awareness seems to us to be tied to computation, to the, the, the computational capacity that our brains, or, or the pattern recognition capacities, right, that our brains perform. But we haven't been able to tie that down. We haven't been able to really, you know, unquestionably tie the two concepts. And that leaves room open to the possibility that awareness might come from something else that is not necessarily computation-based. I guess that's what, what I'm trying to say. And, and given that that is a, a possibility, no matter you know, how limited and small of a possibility that might be, the, the fact of the matter is that given that, there might be awarenesses out there and consciousnesses out there and you know minds running around out there that are so completely alien to us that use, you know, a, a form of, of information digestion and, and, you know, manipulation and whatever, and, and some sort of reflex of that information that we might have a really hard time tying down as being computational. And that might have a dramatic effect on how a species might view us and and their motives for coming here, if they even have motives, you know. And aside from their possible motives, what what are the chances that that there is a life out there that has the capacity to traverse, you know, incredible distances and come here to our planet? Well, um, I, I guess we should talk about the UAPs, right? The the recent government verified emergence of, of these videos of UAPs and different people's accounts like Dr. or uh, sorry, Dr. Commander David Fravers, uh, Tic Tac. Uh, I'm, I'm sure everybody has seen that Joe, that uh, episode on the Joe Rogan experience. Now there's a lot of question as to whether or not Fravers Tic Tac video and some of these other videos are legitimate uh, videos. Um, there has been some speculation as to, um, how, you know, the, the mechanics of the, uh, of the, um, what is it called the, the, the pod with the video camera that, that, you know, can, uh, shift its orientation and, and look around. Um, there has been some fairly convincing, uh, analyses of the video that, that explain a lot of it away. Um, you know, as far as like how fast the object was moving and, and how it was able to just kind of uh, hover in midair and, and tilt, you know, change its orientation. So given this recent 
I guess, quote unquote evidence or potential evidence, we can go down two separate roads. We, or, well, we, I guess we can break this into two um, possible branches as we analyze this, right? Down the one, uh, it's not extraterrestrial. And down the other, it is extraterrestrial. So let's go down the it's not extraterrestrial road just for a second here. Um, if it's not ET or otherworldly, if it's not something that came from our planet, there are three possibilities here. Uh, the first one is that it simply was a misunderstanding. The, the, the phenomenon or the phenomena have been misunderstood and it's just, it's just a, a failure of perception. So uh, the second possibility is that they are hoaxes, right? It's just people out there getting their kicks off of um, bullshitting other people. And the per third possibility is that it, they're homegrown vehicles. Um, you know, it, it, it's something that one of our governments or an independent uh, um, researcher or company or, you know, billionaire out there has, has uh, developed. So if, if we go to the, back to the first one, it's a misunderstood phenomenon. I would have to say that this is the most likely scenario. Uh, especially given the uh, critique of the videos. I, I feel like this is the most likely, most likely scenario. Uh, I'm going to tag this with 90% um, possibility. Uh, the second one, a hoax. <sighs> Man, I, I hate to say this because, oh God, I fucking wish there were aliens. But um, hoax, I'm going to give that an 8% probability. And, the you know, I'm just kind of educated assignment of weights here. I'm not, I haven't done any sort of a calculation or anything. I'm, this is just my educated guess. Uh, and the third one, homegrown vehicles, third likely, uh, we're going to fill that in with the remaining 2%. All right. Now that's not to say that any of them are correct. That's to say, if, if these are not ETs, then that's kind of that's kind of the the uh, probable breakdown. I'm gonna I'm gonna give each one of these three scenarios. Now, if they are extraterrestrial, I think it's fair to ask what they're doing here, because I think that is going to be the most uh, telling as far as whether or not it's something to worry about. Um, now, the way we're going to break this down is kind of uh, well, it's just a little tricky, but we're going to base it off what we know already. So we're going to kind of weight these, these different possibilities based on what we already know uh, and what we most likely can expect. Now, I think it's important to point out that if these are ETs, we need to take into account that they have not engaged us yet, uh, at least not violently. We have not seen them attack us. We have not seen any sort of violent reaction aside from Skinwalker Ranch, which I guess we could tie into the Tic Tacs, man. I don't know. They're, they're, they, there's some weird shit out there. All right. There's some weird shit out there. But there has not been a direct confrontation or a direct violent move by them. 
And one more thing I think we need to take seriously and consider here is that there may not be just one species. You know, if they are here, <laughs> I highly doubt it has just been one species in the entire fucking universe that has figured out how to traverse incredible distances uh, through, you know, throughout the universe. I, I just, I just don't see it being a single species sort of a, achievement. If there is a way to travel faster than light or to just open holes and pop through uh, from one place to another, it, it's, it's likely that if the universe is peppered with life, that this is an extremely common practice. And the, I guess, side topic here to, to consider is how far of a distance can be traversed with any one method and how common that method is um, as far as being discovered. Now, if it is a warp drive sort of a system, there is likely a speed limit. There is likely some sort of, you know, speed limit. You know, there's so much warping you can do to space before uh, you just can't warp it anymore or before it causes a fissure or a hole or some sort of anomaly. I, I could see there being some sort of limit, right? Uh, similar to like in Star Trek. If the, it, it is actually creating wormholes, if, if uh, that is one of the methodologies used, if there's a technology that allows you to just kind of poke a hole in space and time, open it up, and somehow navigate to whatever location you want to go to, then, then distance becomes a non-factor. And if that's the case, then the number of uh, species that, that have achieved this technology and can just go about anywhere for any reason increases, which means that, that m the motive... The motives for coming here are radically different from the motives of those whose whose uh, traversal speed, right, whose whose speed capacity is is limited, is um, is scarce. Like like you can only go so far so fast. I highly suspect that that would be an incredibly potent influence, or not influence um, element in determining the motives of the species that visit. So we've got a whole universe of wormhole users, however many of those there are, but the number of places any one species would choose to go to is highly thinned out. It's very thinned out. It's because they can go anywhere in the universe, right? So the chances that they would come here is, is almost non-existent. Uh, on the other hand, the, uh, the warp drive species are now, well, their motivations are shaped by what they can reach, what they can possibly reach in enough time for it to be of worth. So now we have to look at what are they doing here? Okay, are, are they benevolent? Are they benign? Are they malevolent? If they're benevolent or altruistic, um, then our interests are aligned. If they're benign, our interests are not aligned, nor are they conflicting, right? If they're malevolent, if they're selfish, if they're hedonistic, then our interests 
are not only not aligned, but they are in conflict. So can we derive some sort of, at least a feel for where they fall in this, in this spectrum? Um, I think we can try here. What are the possible reasons another species would come here? Uh, we have some sort of experiment, right? They're monitoring us. They're, they're doing some sort of analysis on how cultures uh, evolve and, and, and that sort of a thing. So they're monitoring either us or something about our planet, something unique about our planet. Okay. They're mining. They're acquiring resources. Um, another possibility is that they're tending something. They're tending to something, perhaps even tending to us, right? Uh, maybe um, sneaking in a little bit of uh, influence here and there, guiding our species evolution. Another possibility is they're simply meeting another species for trade or something. This just happened to be, <laughs> you know, uh, a planet that was between here and there, and they're coming to uh, do a quick uh, intergalactic drug deal, whatever, right? Um, now, there's also the possibility that they're accessing something that is either extremely rare or unique to Earth. Uh, so it's not necessarily mining or acquiring anything, but they are accessing something that is here. And the final thing I could possibly think of uh, as a reason why any other species would want to come here is to engage us politically, uh, or not just politically, you know, as a culture, just some sort of engagement. So you know, they're monitoring us for a minute to see how we work, and then they have already or or are planning to engage us okay if we can kind of weigh each one of these possibilities each one of these likely things and, and there might be another another reason for a species to come here but i really couldn't think of anything outside of these four right basically four uh scenarios so let's let's chip away at these let's see what we can, what we can come up with uh as far as mining goes, I think that's highly unlikely. In fact, I think it's pretty close to a 0% chance that if aliens are visiting us, that they are mining something. And the reason for this is that our universe is filled with matter. Why would they have to come here to our Earth to mine anything? They could find almost anything anywhere else in the blink of an eye. I think it's extremely unlikely that our planet just happens to have the only deposit of whatever in a 200 light year radius. It's, I, I just don't see that as a possibility. Now, given that they are spacefaring, or if they do exist, they are spacefaring, the chances that they are scientifically minded is probably pretty high. So, uh, a monitoring scenario where they're simply cataloging, you know, our our engagements and what we're doing and, and how we interact and, and, you know, they're studying our, our social life and our personal lives. I think that's a very likely scenario. I'm going to pin that at about 30%. If you disagree with me, let me know. But I, I think I think we're sitting good with about a 30% chance of of monitoring uh, another civilization that has not become 
um, Spaceborn yet. I think that's, I think it's likely. Uh, political engagements or, or coming to, you know, check us out for a second uh, in order to make that, you know, first contact. I think that's the most likely. I'm gonna I'm gonna pin that down at about fifty percent fifty percent likelihood that that would be a reason for them to be here. Um, tending to us, having some investment in our species, taking some specific path, right? I think that's about a ten percent possibility. They're tending us. They're tending to us. They're making sure we're taking some specific path. Um, or maybe not us, maybe they're tending the planet. Maybe they have some, you know, some interest in, in the outcome of how we treat our planet. Yeah. Tending, uh, not, not so much super likely, but probably about 10%. And as far as accessing something that is either extremely rare or unique to earth. Now remember this, this is not mining. This is simply accessing something. Uh, the possibility that another civilization has left some sort of super advanced scientific research center deep under the ocean or some sort of um, traversal gate, right? Maybe uh, at the bottom of our oceans, there's a, a stargate. I mean, it's a possibility, I guess, right? You know, we're, we're throwing out some crazy shit here, but that's a possibility that it just happens to have one of the only stargates that was built by a civilization from millions of years ago that still functions and nobody's been able to figure out how the fuck to work it yet. So they use ours. So Earth is a, a traversal hub. That's a possibility. Uh, there may be some other sort of uh, installation that that is a utility that they can't just up and walk away with. I'm going to pin that at about 10% as well. So monitoring, we've got 30%. Mining, almost 0%. Tending, 10%. Accessing something here that it, you know, there isn't any other, uh, that is not in any other place, 10%. And, and, uh, first contact, 50%. If they're mining something, that is likely a conflict of interest. That is likely something that could, that could cause a conflict. Um, if they're tending to us, it's more likely that our interests are aligned. Uh, however, <laughs> it, it could be that our interests are not so much aligned. Uh, it could be that they're, you know, some crazy ravenous, um, human eaters, in which case they're not aligned, but I, I, don't see that as being as likely accessing something that is here that cannot be accessed anywhere else or that is not found anywhere else or in very few places. I don't see that as being either aligned or not aligned. I see that as just simply, you know, a, a benign sort of situation in the case that say it is a stargate down there. And in the case that it ends up being a, a smuggling hub or a, a, a gate used in some sort of intergalactic conflict, then that could be more of a conflict of, <laughs> of interest. It could be something more malevolent, uh, something not as aligned with our interests. But I see that as being a lower possibility in that regard. And as far as 
um, first contact and or political engagement or, you know, just getting coming to say hi or some interest in having uh, a new world of friends in the neighborhood. I, I don't see that as, as being an immediate problem. So if we were to collapse this and break it down, the chances that, that the ETs, if, if they are ETs, if they are here, if they are in fact from another world or another dimension, the chances that they are malevolent, I think are pretty low. Uh, probably clocking in at a good, oh, I don't know, five to 15% chance given, right? The chances that they're benign, that there is just, you know, no conflict of interests and no uh, direct alignment of interests. It just is what it is. I think that's probably has the highest chance of, of that being the case. And the chances of them being benevolent, being interested in us and, and having aligned interests, I think, you know, we're, oh, I don't know, 25%, 25 to 30%. So death by aliens, man, I, I don't think we really have that much to worry about. Um, I, I think it is a possibility. I think if, if the UAP or AUPs, UAPs, unidentified, unidentified <laughs> aerial phenomenon, right? If the UAPs are, in fact, ETs, I think we're sitting pretty. I don't think we have too much to worry about. Uh, and if there is some sort of malevolence out there, I don't think they would have any sort of real desire to initiate any sort of a conflict, especially given that if they're here, the possibility that there is another species that is aware of us or that comes here for whatever reason, doesn't want a conflict to break out or doesn't want to be noticed. I think there would be a quick um, shunting of that activity. You know, I, I don't think we would have to worry too much about an alien invasion fucking us up. I just don't see that as as a possibility. I'm I'm more terrified of of taking AI down the wrong road. So, yeah, I think we're good with the ETs, man. I I don't really see uh, after after breaking it down like this. I I really don't see any sort of super imminent dark. Uh, territory here. I, I just don't. I, I think, especially a species that has attained the capability of traversing space like that, they would have to be a species that cooperates well. You don't have good science coming from a species that does not know how to cooperate. So, I don't know, they would at least have to be on our level of interpersonal cooperation and, and, you know, uh, respecting the other person, that sort of a thing to be able to, to even start to try to kind of, uh, get out there. The chances that a spacefaring species is malevolent given what is required to reach that status and that level of technological know-how, I think it's more likely they're benevolent. Even if it's, you know, 
barely, like a 60-40 split. All right, well, that is it for today. Um, I'm sorry I wasn't able to tell you that I think we're going to be uh, completely exterminated by <laughs> these uh, creatures from other dimensions and planets and worlds. No, I, I'm actually not sorry. I, I, I'm glad we did this analysis. It actually settles my uh, stomach in that respect a little bit. I, I think it, uh, I think it turned out well. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see this uh, come out the way it did. So yeah, that's it for today. Thank you for listening. In the interest of transparency, the Great Filter Podcast is a Phobos Tech production. All proceeds go to funding the STEM Theory Research Project and other Phobos Tech research endeavors. If you enjoyed this episode, please show your support by sharing, liking, and subscribing. You may also help support our efforts with a small monthly donation. Thanks.